0: Good day. Welcome to another episode of the Audible Local Ledger Reads to the Blind podcast. You can get more information at audiblelocalledger.org. Stay tuned for today's reading. Hello, this is Carolyn reading to you from the Cape Cod Times on Wednesday, January 17th. As always, we'll start with local weather. Today is going to be a cold day, but there will be times of sun and clouds. Highs will be around 30 degrees. Tonight will be mainly clear, with lows around 19 degrees. The sun rose this morning at 7.05 a.m. and will set tonight at 4.37 p.m. Tomorrow, Thursday, January 18th, will be a sunny day with some high clouds. The high will be 34 degrees and the low 26 degrees. On Friday we'll see a little snow at times with highs around 34 degrees and lows around 15 degrees. Saturday will be a mostly cloudy and very cold day. Highs will be 25 degrees and lows 14 degrees. And finally, on Sunday, it will be a mostly sunny and cold day. Highs will be 28 degrees and lows 20 degrees. And next, in other local news, we'll go to the lottery numbers. The numbers game yesterday for Tuesday, January sixteenth at the midday drawing. The numbers were zero, seven, six, two. Again, that is zero, seven, six, and two. The numbers for the evening drawing yesterday, Tuesday, January sixteenth were three, one, two, one. Once again, that is 3-1-2-1. The mass cash numbers for yesterday, Tuesday, January 16th were 1-13-16-19-32. Mega Millions numbers for yesterday, January 16th, were 2 10 42, 49, 54, with a bonus number of 13. And finally, the Lucky for Life numbers for yesterday, Tuesday, January 16th. 8, 13, 21, 22, 42, with a lucky ball of 7. If you were one of the people that played, we wish you the best of luck. And now we'll go to our front page local story in today's Cape Cod Times. The story is entitled, Maintenance Until It Can Be Replaced, $40 Million Plan for Bass River Bridge in Dennis, Yarmouth, by Walker Armstrong, Cape Cod Times, USA Today Network. The Bass River Bridge has served as a vital transportation link on Cape Cod for nearly 90 years, connecting West Dennis and South Yarmouth along the traffic-choked Route 28 corridor since the mid-1930s. But nine decades of use doesn't come without serious wear and tear. A quick peek beneath the bridge reveals crumbling concrete pilings, exposed rebar, and chipped cross-members, while on top, hundreds of cars drive over the cracked concrete deck each day. The bridge was classified as structurally deficient and considered in poor condition by the Federal Highway Administration in November 2021 according to data provided by the agency. Due to these structural deficiencies, the Massachusetts Department of Transportation will perform maintenance on the bridge from January through May, with a $40 million project to completely replace it scheduled for bidding this year, officials said. Maintenance work comes first in Bass River Bridge. Jeffrey Colby, the Director of Public Works for the Town of Yarmouth, said maintenance will inclu- include, quote, significant, end quote, work on the underside concrete slabs and pilings and the deck, extensively reinforcing the bridge until the time comes when construction can commence on the total replacement. The Director of Public Works for the Town of Yarmouth said, they are committed to keeping two lanes of traffic open on that bridge nearly all times. If there is an opportunity to go down to one lane or alternating traffic, they'll have to let us know about that. I want the people to know what they're doing out there today, and up until Memorial Day, is not starting the replacement project. That's not the case, Colby said. It is maintenance to get the current structure through until it can be replaced. Colby said he doesn't expect replacement construction to begin until spring 2025. They are still scheduled to go out to bid to completely replace the bridge this fall, he said. There's a several-month time period in which bidders are responding. Then there's the award process, and that type of thing takes a while with Massachusetts Department of Transportation projects. Traffic delays will be intermittent, State says. Most of the repairs will be done below the roadway surface, which will mean minimal impacts on traffic. Massachusetts Department of Transportation spokesman John Goggin said in an email, Traffic delays will only occur intermittently and will be announced in advance, he said. Beyond typical road service maintenance, Reinforced concrete deck repairs will be performed to the underside of the existing deck slab as well as selective pile repairs, Goggin said. These are necessary to remove the existing barriers from the bridge and facilitate construction phasing. Replacement The bridge is safe in its current state but structural deficiencies are better handled in the long term by replacing it rather than continued maintenance, Goggin said. A bridge replacement project is the most efficient method of eliminating these deficiencies, Goggin said. It will also improve other non-structural features of the bridge, like lane configurations, sidewalks, and railings. Work on the bridge will not be done in summer. Colby said the replacement project will take place in phases, the first being the replacement of half the bridge, maintaining traffic flow on the other portion, then replacing the other half. Pedestrian and bike traffic will also continue throughout construction, he said. No maintenance or construction will be done during the summer, Colby said. They're not allowed to work or impact traffic throughout that period. That's why they have the timing of this repair work, he said. Doing work in January is not ideal but they have to have things done before Memorial Day. And there is a picture of the bridge that goes along with this story with a caption that reads, Traffic makes its way on Thursday across the aging Bass River Bridge in South Yarmouth, where lane restrictions are in place for maintenance. Due to structural deficiencies, A $40 million project to replace the bridge is scheduled for bidding this year. And next we'll go to local story on the Cape and Islands page of today's Cape Cod Times. The story is entitled EPA Report on Cleanup at Joint Base Cape Cod by Walker Armstrong, Cape Cod Times USA Today Network. The U.S. Environmental Protection Agency says the environmental cleanup at Joint Base Cape Cod is going as scheduled, and the measures to contain contamination are working as planned. The federal agency recently completed a Superfund site review of Joint Base Cape Cod, a five-year overview of the base assessing cleanup sites ranging from PFAS groundwater plumes to areas contaminated by munitions. EPA remedial project manager for the base, Robert Lim, said the review is essentially an examination of how well cleanup measures already in place such as caps on groundwater contamination or soil removal for munitions sites, are working. That's kind of what the main concern is with a five-year review, looking at whether something's protective, Lim said. The review identifies two types of protectiveness, Lim said which are protective and short-term protective. Protective measures are solutions that do not require another level of mitigation or remediation. They serve the purpose of cleaning up the site. And if it's short-term protective, that usually means there's an issue and the report will identify a recommendation to address the issue, he said. The Air Force will then also provide an estimated date when they would address that or complete the recommendation. Joint Base Cape Cod has undergone extensive environmental cleanup and containment of contaminated sites since being desig- designated a Federal Superfund site, which is an area contaminated with hazardous waste that poses a threat to human health and the environment, in 1989 under the Comprehensive Environmental Response, Compensation, and Liability Act. The next EPA Superfund site review will be conducted for the October 2022 to September 2027 time frame, Lim said. What does the EPA review look at? Douglas Carson, Air Force Civil Engineering Center community involvement lead for the base, said the EPA review looks at every monitored contaminant plume and remediation site, drafting up a report in the end with data points, testing results, and recommendations for future efforts if need be. He said the review is also coordinated with the State Department of Environmental Protection. It's kind of a good snapshot to know where we are in the cleanup process, Carson said, and we do that every five years as part of the Superfund process under EPA. The review covers 2017 to 2022. What about Aschamete Valley? An old landfill on the base is an area identified by the EPA review as protective due to the installment of a cap in the 1990s. On the other hand, the Ashmet Valley, an area affected by PFAS in the groundwater, is a site that was identified as a short-term protective area. Andrew Gottlieb, Executive Director of the Association to Preserve Cape Cod, said cleaning up areas such as Aschamut Valley are difficult because the contaminants impacting those sites are new and have little to no regulation. I think they've done a pretty good job, and I think the finding of the five-year review tends to corroborate that they've done a pretty good job on the cleanup, Gottlieb said. But what's not included in this, you know, a lot of the issues around PFAS and other emerging contaminants are not under active remediation. Carson said there are efforts planned to clean up the Oshamate Valley. A feasibility study is underway and expected to be sent out to the EPA and mass DEP, sometime within the next year. Our investigations are moving along quite well, he said. Once they finalize a final draft, the proposed plan will go off for public comment with the Air Force's preferred alternative and concurrence from the EPA. underlying context should worry people although the defined sites and plumes of contamination are being dealt with gottlieb said the amount of cleanup still required from pfas and other emerging contaminants to munitions and fuel jet fuel sites is worrying The underlying context of the report should worry people, he said. The cleanup is enormously expensive. It's an American taxpayer obligation. There's no end in sight, and there's no long-term price tag. The hidden danger of this report is further normalization of what's going on out there. And the picture that goes with this story is a picture of the Joint Base Cape Cod sign. The caption reads, The Entrance to Joint Base Cape Cod. The Federal Environmental Protective Agency recently finished a five-year review of how measures to clean up and contain contamination are working. The agency said the cleanup is going as scheduled, and containment is working. Our next story on the Cape and Islands local page of today's Cape Cod Times is entitled Poll Offshore Wind Support High as Sector Faces Headwinds by Colin Young, State House News Service. There is bipartisan support among Massachusetts voters for building offshore wind projects off the state's coast, a new poll conducted for an offshore wind developer found as the industry gears up to bid a new slate of potential projects amid choppy waters. Beacon Research surveyed 1,013 Massachusetts voters online between late November and early December. Sponsored by Vineyard Offshore, the poll found that 77% of Bay State voters favor building offshore wind projects, 42% somewhat favor offshore wind development, and 35% were strongly favorable. Fourteen percent of voters said they oppose offshore wind development. Support for offshore wind registered at roughly two-thirds or more among each partisan group. Eighty-four percent of Democrats view it favorably, followed by 71 percent of independents the largest group of Massachusetts voters, and 65% among Republicans. Support levels were similar among people who live in coastal communities, 72%, and those who live inland, 75%. Voters in Massachusetts feel very positively about Offshore wind as a source of electricity for the state, and think that offshore wind should have a major role in the state's electricity generation. Using offshore wind to provide clean energy, helping Massachusetts to reach its climate goals, and helping to improve the economy by creating new jobs are all benefits voters see offshore wind providing for the state beacon research wrote in its executive summary of the survey christian scorzoni vineyard offshore offshore's head of external affairs said it's incredibly encouraging that massachusetts residents continue to strongly embrace wind as a critical resource in our energy mix Vineyard Offshore is among a handful of developers that could submit a bid by the end of January as Massachusetts seeks up to 3600 megawatts of capacity. The Vineyard Wind 1 project that Vineyard Offshore developed in partnership with Avangrid plans to operate at its full capacity of 806 megawatts by the end of 2024. The price of offshore wind power is expected to go up markedly in the next procurement round, which some policymakers worry could turn ratepayers off from the transition to cleaner energy. Vineyard Offshore's poll was conducted at the end of 2023. The year began with developers terminating contracts for offshore power or writing down the value of their investments in the sector. It ended with Vineyard Wind 1, the first offshore wind project in Massachusetts pipeline, missing its self-imposed year-end deadline for delivering first power. One turbine delivered 5 megawatts of power late on January 2nd. Up and down the East Coast, the push among states to transition to offshore wind power is meeting resistance on multiple fronts. In some cases, it's local groups that are concerned about the impact of cable landings and grid connections in their communities. In other cases, researchers at Brown University reported last month, groups with financial stakes in the fossil fuel world are stoking opposition. With increasing frequency and coordination, National-level fossil fuel interests have involved themselves with grassroots-appearing groups in a half-dozen states along the eastern seaboard, Brown University's Climate and Development Lab wrote in its Against the Wind report. As offshore wind power has gained international prominence as a vital climate solution, and as a wave of offshore wind projects finally enter development in the United States, they have been met with a remarkable, highly coordinated network of resistance. New Jersey was highlighted in the Brown Report, with its authors pointing out that whale conservation and other Quote, "anti-OSW rhetoric became a key talking point for republicans in new jersey during the 2023 election season." End quote. And a recent poll from that state shows how support for offshore wind has eroded in recent years as the industry moved closer to becoming a reality. The William J. Hughes Center for Public Policy at Stockton University said in September that 50% of New Jersey residents supported plans to build wind turbines at sea to generate electricity. 33% were opposed and 16% were unsure. The results reflect a drop of 30 percentage points from the findings of a September 2019 Stockton poll that asked an identical question. In 2019, 80% of adult New Jersey residents supported offshore wind farms, the center said in a press release. Four years ago, 77% of residents living in areas that border the ocean or a bay supported offshore wind turbines. Only 33% of coastal area respondents favor such construction in the poll released today. During a State House News Service slash Master List event, on offshore wind last month, industry representatives acknowledged that they face an uphill battle to convince all kinds of stakeholders, impacted communities, unions, environmental organizations, and more, of the benefits of offshore wind as a way to counter disinformation and coordinated opposition campaigns. We need a broad base of support that understands the depth and breadth of this industry and the benefit it brings across the board. It isn't just a kilowatt hour. It isn't just jobs. It's climate change. It's all these other things. Carrie Hitt, Senior Director for Grid Policy and Strategy at Vineyard Offshore, said, And we, at the basic level, work with stakeholders every day for all sorts of things to make these projects happen. And that will build the base to help us see through whatever political changes we anticipate. Hitt said it will be important for the industry to build that support broadly, not just for specific projects. Elizabeth Turnbull Henry, president of the Environment Mental League of Massachusetts, added that developers are not often trusted voices when it comes to local debates that involve their projects because of obvious self interest. So I think we all need to figure out how we effectively counter misinformation and how and also how we create trusted voices with that that can bring true and credible information to communities like Barnstable and Falmouth and Somerset who are really wrestling with this right now in Barnstable the group to save greater douses beach has dedicated itself to preventing the use of an Osterville beach as the landing spot for an AdvanGrid Advan export cable. The group is hosting a conference at the Highport Conference Center latest, later this month that says it will focus on attention on less harmful and costly ways to develop offshore wind energy while minimizing the damage and disruption to residents and businesses that operate offshore and onshore. We're going to stop this story now and go to the obituaries, but we'll continue the last few paragraphs of this story after the obituaries. And now, in other local news, we will go to the obituaries. Paul Salois Paul A. Salois, age 93, of East Sandwich, passed away suddenly on January thirteenth, 2024. Paul was employed by Polar Beverages for 50 years. Paul and his wife Sarah retired to his paradise, Cape Cod, almost 30 years ago. Paul had a zest for life and a positive spirit. Whenever greeting family, friends, or strangers, he always had a big smile. Calling hours will be held at Nickerson Bourne Funeral Home, 154 Route 6A Sandwich, on Saturday, January 20th, 2-4 to p.m. Online condolences can be left at Nickerson Bourne Funeral Home. Peter Hall Partridge Peter Hall Partridge of West Falmouth, Massachusetts and formerly of Brookline, Massachusetts, passed away peacefully with family by his side on January 5, 2024. He was predeceased by his wife Gretchen V.H. Partridge 1936 to 2022. Funeral service at First Congregational Church 68 Main Street Falmouth Massachusetts 02540 is planned for April 6th 2024 at 2 p.m. In lieu of flowers, the family requests donations may be made in Peter's honor to Bourne Conservation Trust, Buzzards Bay Coalition, or by giving blood at your local donation center. For full obituary and online guest book, please visit www.chapmanfuneral.com. Barbara Therese Nugent Barbara Therese Tyrell Nugent of Mashpee died January 13, 2023, at Bridges in Mashpee after a long battle with dementia. She was the beloved wife of the late Robert E. Nugent, Jr., with whom she shared 35 years of marriage. Barbara enjoyed a more than 25-year career as a second-grade teacher for the Brockton school system. Following her retirement from Brockton Public Schools, she filled her time volunteering at Falmouth Hospital and as a substitute teacher for the Falmouth Poli- excuse me, Falmouth Public Schools. Barbara was a woman of faith and was an active member of Christ the King Church in Mashpee for many years. She held several offices in various church ministries and loved volunteering at St. Vincent de Paul. She was active in her community as a member of the Mashpee Senior Center, Falmouth Senior Center, and the Capers Club. A visitation will be held on Thursday, January 18th, 2024, from 10 a.m. to 11 a.m. at Chapman Funerals and Cremations, 74 Algonquin Avenue, Route 151, in Mashpee. A funeral mass will be held on Thursday, January 18, 2024, at 11.30 a.m. at Christ the King Church, 5 Jobs Fishing Road, in Mashpee. A graveside service will be held on Friday, January 19, 2024, at 9.30 a.m. at Massachusetts National Cemetery in Bourne. In lieu of flowers, donations in Barbara's memory may be made to Boston's Boston Children's Hospital Cardiac Care, 300 Longwood Avenue, Boston, Massachusetts, 02115 or online at www.childrenshospital.org or to St. Jude's Children's Research Hospital 501 St. Jude Place Memphis Tennessee 38105 or online at www.stjude.org for online guest book and directions, please visit www.chapmanfuneral.com. David P. Harvard Karras David P. or Harvard Karras, age 73, of Wendell Road in Warwick, died on Saturday, January thirteenth, 2024, at Athol Hospital after being stricken ill at home. Harvard grew up in Barnstable, graduating from Barnstable Vocational School. He eventually moved to Gardner and Western Massachusetts and worked for Whitmore Poultry Farms and several automotive service garages. He then took a job with the town of Orange Highway Department, where he worked as a truck driver and mechanic and worked there for over 20 years before retiring. There are no calling hours. A celebration of life will be held on January twenty seventh, 2024, from 12 noon until 4 p.m. at the Ellenwood Country Club, 1928 Pleasant Street, Athol. Donations in Harvard's memory can be made to Dare to Dream Education Farm Program, Incorporated, 16 Daniel Shays Highway, Orange, Massachusetts, 01364. Witte's Funeral Home, 158 South Main Street, Orange, is assisting the family. Guest book online at www.wittyfuneralhome.com. George F. Gans. George F. Gans of Harwich passed away peacefully with his family at his side on January 1, 2024. George married Judith Jordan in 1962, and they had three children together, John, Heidi, and Tim. George married Constance Rondhaller in 1978. They settled in Bedford, Massachusetts, before moving to Harwich, Massachusetts, after George retired from a long and successful career at IBM. Memorial gifts in his name may be made to Cape Cod Health Care Foundation, VNA of Cape Cod McCarthy Care Center, Post Office Box 370, Hyannis, Massachusetts, 02601, or www.capecodhealthcare.org. Please include his name, and specify McCarthy Care Center. A celebration of George's life will be held at a later date. Full obituary and notes of comfort may be made to his family at www.chapmanfuneral.com. Judy Ann Bowen Judy Ann Bowen, age 62, of West Yarmouth, Massachusetts, formerly of Canton, Massachusetts, passed away on January 12, 2024. Judy has touched the lives of so many who will miss her dearly. Visiting hours in the Pushard Family Funeral Home, 210 Sherman Street, Canton, on Wednesday, January seventeenth, from 6 to 8 p.m. Relatives and friends are respectfully invited to attend. A Mass of Christian Burial will be celebrated in St. Oscar Romero Catholic Church, 700 Washington Street, Canton, Thursday at 10.30 a.m. In lieu of flowers, donations may be made, in Judy's name, to the Doug Flutie Foundation for Autism www.flutiefoundation.org Flutie Foundation. org Slash Ways dash to dash give Slash become dash a dash donor Slash George E Prada George Edward Prada born February 22, 1930, in Charlestown, Massachusetts, passed away peacefully on January 11, 2024, at the age of 93. George is survived by his wife, Wilma, of 70 years. Visiting hours will take place Friday, January 19, 2024, from 11 to 1 p.m., with services to follow at the Chapman Funeral Home, 58 Long Pond Drive, South Yarmouth, followed by a military burial at the Chandler Gray Cemetery. In lieu of flowers, please donate to your local Animal Rescue League, Brewster or Centerville. For full obituaries and to leave notes of comfort to George's family, go to www.chapmanfuneral.com. And now we'll return to the story that we were reading prior to the obituaries. That story is entitled, "Pole: Offshore Wind Support High as Sector Faces Headwinds. Ken Kimmel, Vice President of Offshore Wind Development at AvonGrid, has worked closely with the town and said it's important for developers to acknowledge that their projects will cause disruption in towns that host cable landings or other infrastructure. Barnstable is going to install new sewer lines along the roads that will be ripped up as part of Avant Grid's project, and Kimmel said it will, quote, Save the town millions of dollars, end quote, since Avongrid is paying most of the costs. You can't go in and pretend that there's no impact. There is an impact. It's disruptive. You have to acknowledge it. You have to come up with a benefit that's being offered that mitigates for that, and then you have to. And Elizabeth is right. You really have to counter the misinformation that is spreading like wildfire, he said. Kimmel said he hears the same talking points in Virginia that I'm seeing in Barnstable. Every group starts out by saying the same thing. They say, We're not against clean energy. We're in favor of clean energy. Just not here. If every group gets their wish, it's not a NIMBY or not in my backyard problem. It's a banana problem. Build absolutely nothing anywhere near anybody, he said at last month's event. If that's where we end up, we will not get these wind farms built. So we've got to deal with this issue, and it is a hard one. And there's a picture that goes with this story of a group of people, and the caption reads, In this February 2023 photo, member of the Save Greater Dowses Beach gather around a core sampling set up on the causeway out to the beach as part of the Avon Grid Renewables Wind Project. The second picture that goes with this story is of a sign that says, Save Douses Beach. And the caption reads, In this March 2023 photo, a Save Douses Beach sign flutters in a strong north wind At the entrance to Douses Beach in Osterville, which would be the landfall location for the offshore wind farm Commonwealth Wind. A group opposed to using the beach for the cable landfall has posted signs around the village. A new poll conducted for an offshore wind developer says there is bipartisan support among Massachusetts voters for building offshore wind projects. And there's a larger picture on the Cape and Islands local news page today. The caption on the picture says, Making Connections. The picture is a group of students listening in an auditorium. The caption reads, "A local Local high school students listen to a panel discussion at Tuesday's Blue Economy Waterworks Career Day at Cape Cod Community, Host- excuse me, Community College in West Barnstable. Event co-organizer Tricia Teixeira Santoyani moderates for speakers, Owen Nichols, Marine Fisheries Research Director for Center for, Cape- for Coastal Studies in Provincetown, Kristen Smith, Community Engagement Manager for Atlantic White White Shark Conservancy in Chatham. Sue Dolling Sullivan, Communications and Programs Director for Barnstable Land Trust in West Barnstable. And Lynn Francis, Pond and Cyanobacteria Operations Manager. For Association to Preserve Cape Cod in Dennis. And next we'll go to a front page Massachusetts state news story, which is entitled Home Sales in the State Down by 22.5% by Michael P. Norton, State House News Service. Home sales across Massachusetts sank to a 12-year low in 2023, the first year in office for Governor Maura Healey, whose road to the corner office was paved with promises to boldly tackle the state's housing crisis. The Warren Group reported Tuesday that record high prices and an insufficient inventory made it tough for buyers, and home sales were down by nearly 22.5% in 2023 compared to 2022. The median sale price for a single-family home in Massachusetts last year was $570,000, up about 3.6% over 2022. In December, there were 3,150 single-family home sales in Massachusetts, the fewest for any December since 2008. The median single-family home sale price increased 5.9% in December to $540,000, a new all-time high for the month. Limited inventory and high interest rates are the driving force behind this trend, with prospective buyers facing a challenging landscape, Cassidy Norton, media relations director of the Warren Group, said. As demand outpaces supply, home prices continue to climb, making it increasingly difficult for many to enter the housing market. Healy in October filed major housing legislation, but Beacon Hill has been slow to dive into production and affordability solutions. Healy is expected to talk about the housing crisis in her State of the State address Wednesday. Her bill is up for a public hearing thursday and next we'll go to our front page national news story trump takes iowa caucus in landslide by stephen gruber miller des moines register usa today network the 2024 iowa caucuses are over and unlike four years ago the results are in Here's what you need to know about Iowa's first-in-the-nation contest. Donald Trump wins big. In the end, it wasn't close. Former President Donald Trump swept all but one of Iowa's 99 counties to amass a 30-percentage-point victory over Florida Governor Ron DeSantis and former United Nations Ambassador Nikki Haley. Trump lost Johnson County to Haley by just one vote, according to unofficial results, leaving him just shy of a full set. His margin of victory far eclipses the previous record, Bob Dole's 12-point win over Pat Buchanan In 1996, for the widest winning margin in a contested Republican caucus, Trump took 51% of the vote according to unofficial results, while DeSantis got 21% and Haley had 19%. Ron DeSantis scrapes out second place over Nikki Haley. DeSantis staked his campaign on Iowa and scrapped out a distance second-place finish, two percentage points ahead of Haley. DeSantis entered the race, hoping to position himself as the main challenger to Trump. He racked up endorsements from dozens of Iowa legislators, and scored a pair of coups in November when he secured the backing of Governor Kim Reynolds and Evangelical Leader Bob Vander He campaigned heavily in the state, holding more than 130 announced public events and visiting all 99 of Iowa's counties but he trails far behind Trump and Haley in New Hampshire and South Carolina, the next GOP primary contests. Are there three tickets out of Iowa this year? Trump acted as if the race was all but over Monday night, praising his competitors as, quote, very smart people very capable people, end quote, in his Iowa victory speech. But DeSantis and Haley made clear they're going to keep up the fight against the former president. We got our ticket punched out of Iowa, DeSantis told a cheering crowd in West Des Moines, moments after he officially clinched second place. Haley, who came in a close third, told supporters that Iowa had made this a quote two person race, end quote, alluding to her strong poll standings in New Hampshire and South Carolina, where DeSantis trails far behind her and Trump. Iowa has long been seen as a state that helps winnow the field of presidential contenders. But with Trump claiming such a dominant victory, some political analysts have expressed skepticism that Iowa will provide its traditional, quote, three tickets, end quote, for campaigns to advance out of the state. Still, Iowa did play a part in narrowing the presidential field once again, this time claiming the campaign of Vivek Ramaswamy, who dropped out of the race and endorsed Trump. Two other candidates, Texas Pastor Ryan Binkley and former Arkansas Governor Asa Hutchinson, finished the night with less than a percentage point. Hutchinson announced Tuesday that he would be suspending his campaign. Does showing up still matter? In the end, the candidate who showed up the least ended up winning by a historic margin. Trump held just 22 announced public events in Iowa throughout the campaign cycle several times fewer than his closest competitors. DeSantis held 138 Iowa events and visited all of 99 Iowa's counties, while Haley held 85 and Ramaswamy notched more than 300. The election was a unique one, with a former president dominating the spotlight both through his campaign appearances and court hearings. But Trump's lack of presence in the state on his way to victory raises questions about the traditional approach to Iowa caucus campaigning, where candidates are expected to stop in every pizza ranch and shake hands in every diner. What does it mean for Iowa's GOP's first-of-the-nation status in 2028. In the 50 years since the Iowa caucuses took their place at the start of the presidential nominating process, they have rarely faced a greater threat. National Democrats have already replaced Iowa as their party's kickoff state and Iowa Republicans have been working overtime to make sure they don't suffer the same fate caucus night went smoothly with the full resu- results known within a few hours and a wi- and a winner declared sooner than that but the Republican party of Iowa fell short of its predictions of a record turnout as Trump ran far ahead in the polls, and a blizzard blew through the state. This has been Carolyn, reading to you from the Cape Cod Times on Wednesday, January 17th. I hope you all have a wonderful day.